Today I want to talk about kingdom culture. We're on this journey as a family um, and understanding how we live as a family. And uh, last year I, I spoke a message called Kingdom Culture. It's on, um, it's on our website. Um, it was before we upgraded to our new app. Uh, you can listen to it there. I posted the link on Facebook last week. But I want to just recap three statements at the beginning, and then as you will see by now, thanks to my lovely hosts, we have a worksheet today. I'm going to do something that I, quite different to the way that I would normally teach something. Today is more of a, a meander through the scriptures, and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of notes uh, to take home uh, and to walk through with uh, your family or your friends. So that's what we're going to do today. But let me just, let me just put some context to what I mean when I say culture Uh, And then we'll talk specifically about kingdom culture, meaning the kingdom of God. The All Blacks are a fantastic example of culture. As an organization, if you get behind what goes on uh, beyond the rugby field, what you'll discover is an organization that is crafted and designed on purpose to achieve specific outcomes. The mechanics, the psychology... The diet and the training and the discipline are all part of what makes the All Blacks one of the best, if not the best, organizations in the world. And they're also pretty good at rugby as well. The culture in the All Blacks family is one of high performance. They do not make any excuses about that. High performance and accountability are how they live. Each person in the organization called the All Blacks knows the role they're there to play And they know what is expected of them. No doubts, no ambiguity. Each person works hard. They prepare mentally, emotionally, and physically for their upcoming encounters. Now, what you and I get to see on the field is the way that they have been trained to live. That's pretty much it. What you see is the way they've trained to live. So I define culture based on that example. We see culture in people's thoughts, actions, and interactions with others that demonstrates what they believe. So culture is an external presentation of what you believe on the inside. Here's a quote from my message last year. In every household, the culture is demonstrated by the way the head of the home lives, and it's caught by the family members. Some would say culture is more taught than caught, because I believe you can learn through teaching, but most of this behavioral transformation happens by doing life together intentionally reproducing the culture that is your family normal. And uh, today I just want to talk about this is how we choose to live. I'm going to take you through what I call those kingdom culture statements that are in the center of your um, handout. And you can fill in the gaps as much as you want to live because today what I want to help um, based on the word of God is help define how we choose to live. My aim for today and and over the course of the next few weeks as you choose to use this is that we would internalize these truths. Your job is then to personalize them. And your responsibility is to actualize them. So internalize, personalize, and actualize. Actualize means others can see it because it's part of your reality. So in the left-hand column in your worksheet, I'm going to give you some scriptures. We're going to do these one at a time. And there are seven of them. And so... I'm going to have to move quickly. My, I'm doing this really different today. Like, we're just going to jog through this. You take the notes, but I'd encourage you to find someone to talk about this with, to journey it in a small group or take a family uh, 
uh, for dinner one evening or lunch and discuss it. In the center column, you can describe or write what describes that because we've done this work for you as a team. We, as a staff last year, got together and brainstormed what is this and what is it not. Um, And finally, in the last column, you can put some personal action or maybe you just want to asterisk two out of seven that you really feel to focus on. Focus on all seven if you want, but it's a journey. This is how we choose to live. I must say, as I uh, open up my new Bible, I'm loving this new Bible. Um, my last Bible, I still have, and I'll still teach from it, but it's falling to bits and the leather's falling off it. And, and I got this um, Bible because I, I love discovering the layers to the Scriptures. And, and, and so I've gone for a completely different translation in this Bible, and I'm really, really enjoying it. So I'm going to read to, to you from this Bible today. Um, there are so many layers to the, the nuances of Scripture that we just miss in the English language. The Aramaic and the Hebrew culture then translated uh, in the New Testament through the Greek writers. Um, Man, English just is insufficient. And so why I like reading multiple versions of the Bible and translations is because you get completely different understanding. And I must say, I trust the translators. We're not adding anything to what God said. We're actually understanding it more deeply. So that's what we're going to do today. Family, I need a scribe to help write the scriptures up here so people can capture them. Uh, Could I have a volunteer that would like just to write scriptures on a couple of pages and then you can tag someone else in? Who wants to come and write? Don't rush it once. Don't make me choose someone. Lynette, were you volunteering? You only have to do two pages and then you can get someone else to do it. Yep. There's only, just write the scriptures. So, yep, there's, there's felt pens here, and there's, oh, have everyone, has everyone got a pen to write notes? If you need a pen, put a hand up, and Ken will run you a pen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Okay, Second Corinthians 5, so two, just do C-O-R, Second Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, very common verse. God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to other people. This is a new thing God is doing. We must remember the old is gone and the new has come. We are stepping into something new. So please, I understand that the the concept of family is something for some people that doesn't have positive aspects. That's the journey to now. But understand this, God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. The old has gone, the new has come. As we define kingdom and family, what that means, we understand that God is doing something incredible in our world. The second scripture is Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. Romans 8, 14 to 17. The mature... Children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back to the fear of never being good enough. 
But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we're his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are the heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we will also inherit all that he has for us. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. We've been adopted, we've been made part of God's family, not by our work, but by his work. It's him that forms family, not us. I'm very mindful of that as we journey together. Romans chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. I did a teaching on this passage last year. It's a little complex, but last year we talked about covenant and belonging, and this verse is talking about being grafted in to the family of God. Uh, Paul's using a tree as an analogy and the pruning of a tree. Some of the branches, Paul writes, have been pruned away, and you who were once nothing more than a wild olive branch in the desert, God has grafted in, inserting you among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful riches of the cultivated olive stem. So don't be so arrogant as to believe that you are superior to the natural branches. There's no reason to boast. For the new branches don't support the root, but you owe your life to the root that supports you. We've got to remember that it's God that forms family. It's his life that flows in us as family. That is what we should be representing to the world. One last scripture reference to write down, Deuteronomy 7, just do D-E-U-T. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. I want to read this to you from the Amplified Version. Therefore know without any doubt and understand that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who is keeping His covenant and His steadfast loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. What's my point in reading that verse to you? God who is forming our family is a never-changing God and his promises are eternal. That should give us hope. As a family, we're anchored in this idea that God forms family. Is that a good thing for you and me? You guys okay? We're jogging. I warned you. One of the things that I asked last year when we were brainstorming amongst our team, staff team and volunteers on Tuesday... As I said, well, this is good. Like, I'm pretty sure I know what I mean when I say one of our key aspects of our culture is family with regards to the kingdom of God. But what is it and what is it not? And so we, we wrote this down, what, what we put on the whiteboard. I want to share it with you. And then the second column, write whatever you'd like. But I'm, I'm trying to clearly articulate what we mean by kingdom family. The team says that it is belonging. And that was our theme last year. All of last year, we talked about belonging, belonging to God and belonging together. Who can remember the four aspects of teaching last year that that we did? Because this is a real test, I know, but come on, help those out that weren't here. There were four themes last year under belonging. What were they? 
identity in Christ, covenant connection, empowered in freedom, engaged in purpose. Awesome. So those four describe what it means to be part of family, belonging in the family of God. Identity comes from Christ. We've got to remember that. We're in a covenant connection with him and with each other. We're empowered in freedom, and we, we've ministered a little bit in that this morning. And then finally, we're engaged in purpose, kingdom purposes. Interestingly, I asked the team, well, what is it not? What is, what is not family? And here's what we wrote on the board. It's not exclusive. It's not judgmental. It's not living in isolation. It's not individualized journeys, but collective. It does not reject authority. It does not dishonor. It is not self-centered, and therefore it is not selfish. Family is not selfish. So with that in mind, as you take your worksheet away, what I'd really like you to do in that last column is think about what it means for you to be part of family, this family. We certainly talk about church as a family. Where's Jamie? Do you want to just... Um, we'll put these up on the, on the sides so you can... Uh, here you go. Take a photo or check them out later. Let's do another one. Where's my scribe gone? She ran away. Oh, two pages, Lynette. Thank you. Everyone give Lynette a cheer. Come on. Be careful because she's going to choose someone after this. First scripture. First Corinthians 13 verse 1. First Corinthians 13 verse 1. Very common passage to speak about with regards to love. And if you look on your page, it says love without conditions. Quite, quite clear there. Paul writes, if I were to speak with the eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. Love is the highest form of expression that God has given us to represent him. The highest form. As the disciples of Jesus, when representing God to the world, love is his currency. In my notes in my new Bible, let me just share with you a couple of comments. The Aramaic word for love is huba, H-O-O-B-A. And it also means to set on fire. It's difficult to fully express the meaning of this word and translate it into English. You could say the Aramaic concept is burning love or fiery love coming from the inner depths of the heart as an eternal energy, an active power of bonding hearts and lives in secure relationships. That's a great definition of love. The Greek word you may have heard, agape, describes the highest form of love. It is the love God has for his people. It is an intense affection that must be demonstrated. Love is an action word, not an ideal. It is not abstract. It is the love God has. It is a loyal, endless, unconditional commitment of love. Feelings are attached to this love. It is not abstract, but devoted to demonstrating the inward feelings of love towards another with acts of kindness and benevolence. John 1, verse 16, from the Amplified Bible, reads, For out of... His fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, 
We have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. I just get this image of the waves at the beach continually crashing as a picture of God's love for us that is abundant, extravagant, never-ending, and we used to sing that song, Grace on Top of Grace. Cyril used to lead us in that song, remember that? Grace on top of grace, grace on top of grace. That's God's love for us. It's a model for how we're to live with each other. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. You guys doing okay? Like I said, different today, but the Word of God is going to fill us with a revelation of His truth. Romans 8, 38 and 39. So now, Paul writes, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love which is lavished upon us through the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Love knows no limits. So why would we put conditions on it? Love without conditions. I asked the team what they said love was, and they said, well, love has no conditions, but it does have boundaries. Unpack that one. Love is safe for all parties. There's no room for fear in love. I read that somewhere. There's no requirement for performance in order to earn love. And love comes only because God first loved us. Here's what the team says that it is not. It is not responding to manipulation. That is not love. It is not partnering with the wrong spirit. That's language we use here for negative behavior that's trying to earn something. And then this also, you are not supposed to replace God. We unpack that. The team said, well, often we step into that space where we should step out and let God be God and us be the support. Okay. That finishes our second one. Thank you, Lynette. Everyone give Lynette a big cheer. You're going to volunteer someone? Do you want, do you, should we get a guy up to do the next one, do you reckon? Jamie's going to, Jamie's going to do the running. No, he's, yeah, Francois, you look like you're close enough to do it. Here he is, right here. Look, help you out. Okay, this, the third one in our kingdom culture is sacrificial service. Before we do the scriptures, the team says this, it is death to ambition. Death to ambition. So that's in your middle column. The team says it is not being a martyr. Not being a martyr. You're not flogging yourself so that you have no strength or no desire to love anyone. That's not sacrificial service. And there's a story about Mary Martha we won't go into. The team also says that it is not denying God's Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest being his fullness of provision. The team also said it is not being all things to all people. Even if you have a cape, you are not supposed to be all things to all people. And finally, 
It is not based on rules. It is being led by God. The first scripture, John 15, 12 and 13. Jesus, famous passage as he wanders in the vineyard. John 15, 12 to 13. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. The original word, word definition there is to willingly lay down his soul for another. And this great love is demonstrated. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. Jesus leads us in this thing of sacrificial service to others, and this is our part of suffering with Jesus that we read about earlier. When we share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. What he's saying here is that suffering is laying your soul down for another that you're called to walk alongside. I love that phrase he uses here, love each other as deeply as I have loved you. The next scripture is 1 John 4, verse 7 to 11. 1 John 4, 7 to 11. It's funny, when you get used to reading your Bible, you know which page it's on and whereabouts to look, and then you have a new Bible and you get a little bit lost for a while, so... Please forgive me as I locate these scriptures. Let me read it to you. Those who are loved by God, that means you, let his love continually pour out from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. So the first aspect of kingdom culture is family. The second aspect of kingdom culture is love without conditions. The third aspect we've just done is sacrificial service. And then the fourth one is what? You've got them in your notes. Heaven's perspective. Excellent. One of my favorite verses that just, like, it was one of those ones where you you can remember where you were when you had the revelation of the scripture. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. This changed the way I live, the way I pray, and the way I interact with people. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities 
and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. We must not base our decisions purely on what we see in the natural. We must instead set our sights on the realities of heaven. My other Bible says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, his reality. And and the way that I teach my team that is, let our realities be based on his realities. Remember my little phrase that I've been banging around for years? Don't judge God on your circumstances, but judge your circumstances on God. This is where it comes from. This verse here. There's an example, you can write this down, we, I won't read it, but 2 Kings 6. In 2 Kings 6, there's a story where Elisha is going into a space and he's overwhelmed and surrounded by, by the armies that have come to destroy the people of God. And the servant gets up, you might remember the story, and he opens the tent in the morning and he freaks out because the armies have come to kill them are, are numerous, far greater than, than he could ever hope to uh, conquer. And Elisha prays this prayer. I love it. He says, Lord, would you open his eyes that he would see. Greater are those that are with us than those who are against us. And the story says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes that he would see the realities of heaven. And a multitude of heaven's armies surrounded them. Fiery chariots and warriors This is a different reality that we should tap into. And it's how we should live here and now. In the kitchen at home, in the workplace, that encounter that you have with someone in the community. Set your sights on the realities of heaven for that's where your new life comes from. Third scripture, John 5, verse 19. John 5, verse 19. Jesus said, I speak to you timeless truth. The Son is not able to do anything from himself or through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the Father doing. For the Son does the same works as his Father. Jesus paused long enough to sense what God wanted to do. And in that moment, he aligned himself with that, and the grace and anointing of God flowed. We've got to slow down. Don't react, but instead wait and then respond in line with what God is doing. You might find life goes a bit differently. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's happening, to give you a word of encouragement or to to give you some guidance. I have found that it has changed how I interact with people as I pause long enough to set my sights on the realities of heaven, ask God what he's doing, and then respond in accordance to what God says, not just what I see. You can think about who you're going to choose. And I'm going to just say this. The team says heaven's perspective is all about being a conduit. A conduit. What's a conduit, Ash? Okay, so it's where something can pass through. So we are to be a conduit for heaven, that we would be connected in a way that what is in heaven flows through us out to those that we interact with. A conduit is a really good word. So the team says it is shifting the atmosphere 
You know, we've, I, te- I teach on this in School of the Spirit. I taught the youth on it last year. When you, when you suddenly feel fearful, it's not you. It's the atmosphere around you that's trying to change you. But we're going to talk about spiritual authority soon. You have the authority to change the atmosphere when you release what's in heaven. The team says it is not using your filters, which are your emotions or issues. How often do you react based on how you feel or what your journey has been? That's not using heaven's perspective. You don't need to own up to that. Don't put your hand up. Um, And it's not using man's interpretation or perspective. So there's some examples for you. If this is something, you might want to asterisk. Have you thought about who you're going to volunteer? Yes, go. Uh, 15 to 17. 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. Oh, we've got a school teacher on the job. You're going to stay a long time. Excellent. She's used to this. If she starts telling you what to do, it's because she's a school teacher. Thank you, Davina, for volunteering. Okay, number, what number are we up to? Five. Speak life, not death. First scripture, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Proverbs, who can tell me off the top of their head what this says? Thank you, Teresa. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That is awesome. Here's, the, here's a phrase for you. What we speak forms the world around us. Your words are vital. What you say, the, the nuances, the negativity, they're shaping your world. We're called as a family to represent God, to speak life and actually form a good life around us. The second scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. I did a message a couple of three weeks ago called Prophetical. And uh, if you didn't hear it, you should hear it. Because what it is based on is how God has given us the gift of prophecy to, to establish things in the spirit realm for us to walk into in the, in the natural. And I'm, I'm referring to this verse here, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. So when someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people, to build them up, and to bring them into comfort. You see, the gift of prophecy is for edification. The gift of prophecy is for exhortation. The gift of prophecy is for encouragement. The implication in the text here is that prophecy is not predictive. You're not a future teller. You're not fortune telling. You're not waving your crystals around hoping that you get... Uh, uh, something to tell someone about the future of their life. But in fact, it's about influential, uh, having this influential um, moment in their spiritual journey and their spiritual welfare. Why does God speak a word of encouragement or a word of prophecy? To build someone up and establish them in the spirit that they would walk in connection with him. Speak life, not death. When we um, gather with church family and when we um, well, we did it this week, actually. We had our first day on Tuesday with all our interns in here. Four interns. It's crazy. You might have seen a video. They were playing in the rain. Too much coffee. Um, but the very first thing that we did with our interns at the beginning of their year of devotion, devoting their year to serving God is that we prayed and prophesied over them. Why? Because we want to release God's life into their year and get them on a pathway. Speak life, not death. Matthew 16 verses 15 to 19. Matthew 16, verses 15 to 19. Jesus has this, um, you know, like he's a, he's a tricker. 15, 16, verse 15 to 19. 16, 15 to 19, yeah. 
He has this conversation and he asks questions. And how many know God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer? He's always leading us into a revelation. And so we have this. Jesus is with his um, disciples and he asks this trick question. He's like, who do you say, who do you believe that I am? In verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, but you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up, you are the anointed one, meaning the Christ or the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah. For you did not discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. This is the key here. Sorry for the joke. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Jesus is giving us this revelation that we're kingdom ambassadors to speak the revelation and release into the earth that which is already released in heaven. And to bind, you might have heard a more traditional translation, to, to bind on earth what has already been bound in heaven. So your words, when you're connected in this heaven's perspective, is to release in faith what's already been released in heaven. It took me a while in the natural to grow the supernatural confidence to bring a word of knowledge for healing. Because I used to worry about me. What if I get it wrong? What if I don't do things right? What if I don't make someone get healed? And then we go through this journey where God says, Oi, it's not you, it's me. All you've got to do is connect with me and release what I say. That's your job done. You don't even make someone get healed. You're not that good. Speak life, not death. Release what's in heaven. So I asked the team, what is this? And they say, well, it's about acting in accordance with Scripture. That's always a good one, eh? It's great when church staff say that. Here's another one. It's about releasing destiny. One of the things I love doing is releasing that, that prophetic utterance over someone's life that establishes purpose and destiny. Here's another thing it is. It's breaking bondage and curses. What is it not, I said to my team? They said, well, it's not blaspheming or swearing. They also said, it's not our truth, meaning little t. So our language here is little t truth is personal, capital T truth is God's. Which do you base your life on? It's not little t. You know, when I'm ministering with someone and they tell me what's their reality, I say, well, this is your little t truth because it's very real for you right now. But let me change your perspective and tell you what God's capital T truth is and let's try and connect with that. Change how we live. What else do the team say? Oh, it's not gossip. It's not religious condemnation. And definitely, definitely, definitely we should not speak words that create bondage or curses. I'm not good enough. 
I can't afford that. I never, ever get ahead. No one likes me. I'm not worthy. Every single one of those statements are negative curses that will create bondage in your life. If you're guilty of that, here's how you stop that. You get a rubber band and you put it around your wrist. And every time you say something like that, ask your spouse or your family member to snap it really hard. I find it changes behavior. I'm not joking. It's called discipleship. Not allowed to hit someone with a stick anymore, so. Okay, uh, next one. Spiritual authority. Let's do this one. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, we're doing all right? We're okay? It's not raining yet. There's sunshine outside. Woohoo! Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, the commission, the great commission. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Or let's actually do, we'll sneak in verse 18 as well. Jesus came close to his disciples and said, all authority of the universe has been given to me. Awesome. Then he says this, now go in my authority, go in my authority, go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all I've commanded you and never forget. I am with you every day even to the completion of this age. Jesus gives this to us as a free gift. But then he teaches us to use that gift. It's kind of like handing you a car to drive when you don't have your license, and he's saying, well, let's learn you how to do this. Jesus has defeated the enemy. He's paid the price and overcome all of those things that were sent to rob you of the life God's got for you. And then he says, I'm giving it to you. Go and use it to bless other people. All authority. Our maturity is us being able to steward that. Different levels, for sure. Different maturity, for sure. We'll talk about that next. The next scripture, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10 Verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bows in obedience to the anointed one. We've got to understand we're living in a different world. You could also reference Ephesians chapter 6 there when Paul writes about the armor of God. We don't wage war against physical opposition. Instead, we fight spiritual powers, principalities and rulers. We're in a spiritual battle, friends. We've got to take our spiritual authority into the spiritual battle and see the victory won in our world. Final scripture, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 
verses 17 to 21. Matthew 17, verse 17 to 21. Jesus has people around him, and there's some healing that's actually not happening. And, and so Jesus replies to his disciples, where is your faith? Can't you see how wayward and wrong this generation is? How much longer do I stay with you and put up with your doubts? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was instantly healed. We get to see that happen a lot more when we travel to Asia. I'm praying for the day we see it happen more often here. Later, the disciples came to him privately and said, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He told them it was because of your lack of faith. I promise you, if you have faith inside you, no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do, but this demon is only cast out through prayer and fasting. Jesus is teaching us there are specific disciplines we must adopt. That's what disciples are, ones that apply discipline. There are disciplines that we must maintain in our lives in order to appropriate the authority he's given us. But when we appropriate that authority, there is not one thing that should not or will not bow to the name of Jesus Christ under that authority. Healing, great. Deliverance, awesome. Salvation, repentance, absolutely essential. Spiritual authority is what we're called to walk in. We must move in the authority that Jesus has already given us. Not just the minister, not just the prayer team or the youth worker that's got some manifestations happening on a Friday night. Every single one of us. The team says, when I asked them, what is it? They said, well, it is submission to the Holy Spirit. It is releasing love that releases miracles. And it is leading people to freedom. One of my greatest joys is having conversations where people realize there's freedom that God's got for them and they want to step into it. The team says that it is not imposing our will onto other people. If you ever sit with me in a situation like that, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to ask you, do you really want this? Because if you don't want freedom, I can't make it happen. You've got to want it. Not my will your desire. It's not weird or spooky either. Spiritual authority is not, you know, like what you'd see on YouTube all the time. When I read the Gospels, what I love about Jesus is the way he demonstrates calm authority. You don't have to shout at demons to make them go. They, they got good hearing. It's not pride. It's not ego. It's not controlling people. And I would say this, I would add this lastly, very, very carefully, it is not operating outside of permission. You get smashed up real bad if you try that. Would you mind, Davina, staying for the last one? That's okay, we've got one more to do, and then we'll finish. What's the last one? Growth, personal, spiritual, growth. So number one was family. Number two was love without conditions. Number three was... Sacrificial service, number four was? Heaven's perspective, number five? Speak life, not death, number six? We walk in spiritual authority. And finally, number seven is personal, spiritual 
growth. Excellent. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I've got some stuff I'm going to share with you guys soon um, about um, maybe in the next quarter about being an apostolic company of people. Next week I'm going to talk about uh, born again DNA. I'm going to do some teaching on that. Um, but but in a month or two I've got this um, stuff bubbling away about being what it means to be apostolic as per the scriptures. And Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus under the stewardship at the time of a young pastor called Tim. And there's some Bad stuff happening, and yet it's an opportunity for maturity. And he writes this. So in verse 12, he's talking about leadership, establishing church leadership. And then he writes in verse 12, the calling, referencing to leadership, their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we, put yourself in that circle, all attain oneness in the faith until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one perfect man, meaning unity, with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and be fully developed in the abundance of Christ. That's why we gather together. That's why we do teaching. That's why we do School of the Spirit. That's why we have these strategies for our youth and gathering in the community, but, but then imparting truth into them. Why? Maturity is not an option. It's not optional. You're not supposed to check out and say, well, I got my bus stick to heaven, I'm done. Paul's saying, no, we must all grow to attain the unity of faith, to be like Jesus, but that we would represent Jesus to others. The expectation of Paul was that the church would grow personally in their maturity. So I would say this, that is our expectation as church leaders, as we plan, as we, as we try and work on how we can serve you and serve the town, our focus in serving you is to provide opportunities for discipleship. There's a mantle on this church. There has always been a mantle on this church. It supersedes me, supersedes the previous leader. It supersedes your time here. There's a mantle on this house, this ecclesia, this governing authority, legislative authority that he's established here to disciple, to grow people. Let me continue this reading with the next two verses, Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 16. So three verses. So when we become one, I'll just read the end of the last verse, fully developed in the abundance of Christ, listen to this, and then our immaturity will end. Fancy that. We will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings, or by false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member, every person, no exclusions, has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And these gifts, as they operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. That's why we grow. 
to be united as one people, to represent him to the world around us, that they would know that Jesus is Lord by the way we live, personal growth. What does it mean, the team, I asked them. They said, well, obviously it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to be healthy and whole. It means connecting people to God. It's visible and it's fruitful. It's true every one of us has a gift. But what I look for is fruit. Team says it's not creating dependency. You know, don't keep craving milk. I'm not going to bottle feed you. But grow. Become interdependent. It's not done in isolation. And finally, it's not disconnected from Scripture. We absolutely maintain the vitality and the essential nature of the Word of God. Everything we do, we come back to the Word of God. Anything we write, anything we develop, all the um, strategies we're working on for our vision in the next five years is all based on what does the Bible say? Even um, some of the stuff we're working on lately, the elders said um, to me in a meeting, they said, that's great, but we've got to make sure we're honoring the Word of God. And so we put, the, we put disciplines and parameters in place to, to establish that. And I'm saying that to give you confidence that that's how we roll. This is how we choose to live. As I close, internalize this. Feed on it. Ask God to give you revelation. Pray over these scriptures. Read them out loud. Go home and read them in your favorite translation. I've just read them in my new Bible today. I'm loving the journey as I, as I see it in a different light. Same truth. Like difference between fried chicken and roast chicken. Still chicken. Word of God. But feed on it. That it would become part of who you are. That it would be internalized in you. And then I want you to ask God, what does this mean for me? Personalize it. Personalize it so that it's real for you. Don't make this just, oh, well, Pastor Phil had a revelation. That's not, that's not what I want. I want you to go, wow, God spoke to me this, this one thing or these five things. And then lastly, actualize it. So internalize it, personalize it, actualize it, which means make it part of your world. Put it into practice. Do something different. What would you do to be part of this family? What would you do to love other people? What would you do to sacrificially serve? Any one of those, you choose. I'm closing with these questions. How would you choose to live this year? What will you do to grow in your personal walk with Jesus Christ? What are you going to engage in to contribute with other people? In which events will you personally attend in order that you would personally grow? Let me pray. God, I ask today that as we honour your word, it, uh, it rests in our soul and our spirit, far beyond our mind's comprehension, but into the core of our being. That our spirit would rise up and say yes and amen to your holy truth that establishes life. For each family here, God, declare the blessing and the richness and the abundance of the love of God our Father, who we connect to through Jesus Christ. May each home be filled with love 
your love. May each home be filled with joy, your joy. And may your peace rest on each person, I pray. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.